I woke. Woohoo! All right. All right. We'll tell you what. Uh, I didn't know a couple of those songs. Um, make fun of me, it's fine. I don't care. Uh, I, I just I got saved later and I didn't learn those songs growing up, but I'm gonna tell you something. There's one thing you can there's one thing you can say about the hymns, and that is there is some good theology in the hymns. And uh, you know, and hey, that first song, that first song was 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 uh, definitely definitely solid too. So, anyways, turn them in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. This is where we're going to start today. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless uh, our time together. Heavenly Father, God, you are, you are so merciful and You are so gracious to us, Lord. God, that we could wake up and have another day. God, that we can be in your presence today is just a sheer gift from you. And God, I just pray right now that you would just, um, that you would declutter our minds, Father, that you would open our hearts, that we might be able to hear from you today, God. This is your word going forth, and when your word goes forth, God, it's just as if you're speaking to me. It's just as though you're speaking to the congregation, Father, because you are alive and your spirit is at work. And so, God, I just pray that we would be attentive, Father, and that we would listen and that we would learn and that we would end up leaving here with just a little bit of a clearer picture as to what is coming in the future when it comes to the new heaven and the new earth. God, this is your plan, your perfect plan. And, God, I just pray that I do it justice. I pray that you give me the words to say and that you'd be honored by it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Imagine if you would, that you lay down to go to sleep and God decides it's time to take you home. What's next? What happens next? That's the million dollar question, but it's the question that nobody wants to answer. It's the question that humans don't answer because somehow we lie to ourselves or we get ourselves actually believing that maybe we will evade death. I know when I was a teenager, I didn't even think about death. I rode on tops of trucks, did things that were just moronic, and uh, I guarantee you that they are wilder than I am today. Okay? The kids that are alive today do stuff way crazier than I ever did. But the thing about it is this. We are all guaranteed a day where we will die. We don't know when that day will come, but we know that it's coming. The, the death rate among humans is 100%. Um, actually, it's 99% because Enoch walked with God in the Old Testament and he was not. So, okay, so it's 99%. So if you ain't named Enoch or Jesus, you're going to die. All right? So... Um, all of us are currently dying already. Our bodies are deteriorating. It's just part of life. Uh, and while we don't want to talk about it or really even think about it because it's so hard to handle, in God in His loving kindness made sure that He reminds us that death isn't so gloomy after all. 
Actually, we talked about this last week, that death is a gift from God. Paul lists it as a gift to the believer. And for the believer, death has no sting. That's what Romans tells us. That life is not the end of the road, but that it's just a bend in the road, taking us on a new journey to a new destination. So we've come to the climax of our study on heaven, and we spent the last two Sundays seeking the truth about heaven and and what waits for us on the other side. We learn, for instance, if you were to lay down and you were to pass away, what would happen next according to the mouth of Jesus would be that angels would escort you into the presence of Almighty God. And then we looked at Revelation uh, chapter 4 and we saw how uh, we saw the throne room of God and how Whenever you come into the throne room of God, the Bible says that you walk on a floor that's like a sea of crystal glass. That as you walk closer towards the throne, all you can see in heaven is this massive throne with all the colors of an emerald rainbow coming out from behind the throne. That the face and the appearance of the one that sits on the throne just beams with colors of of rubies and diamonds. That his face is so pure and beautiful and bright that it shines like an uncut diamond. That as you move closer, that you see the 24 elders fall on their face and and they're casting crowns. And we said that the 24 elders represent Christians from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they're falling on their face before the throne and they're throwing the crowns that are on their head at the feet of the one who sits on the throne. That even as you get closer, you notice that there are 12 torches of fire which represent the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. That as you get closer, that you see myriads, thousands upon thousands of angels singing praises to God. And then right before the throne stands a spotless lamb. And so heaven is a place of great beauty. But heaven is also a physical place. We learn that we won't be orbs of light or mysterious spiritual creatures, but actually we will be recognizable That Jesus referred to heaven as paradise, which literally means a walled garden, right? We saw the reality of water being there, right? And the comfort and the encouragement that comes from being in the presence of the Lord. We will have all of our emotions, our memories, everything that makes you you minus your body. It's a beautiful and magnificent reality, far greater than we could ever imagine. But even the paradise that exists today isn't the end goal. There's something better coming. What you need to understand is that when God created the earth, He made everything good, right? Good, perfect, just the way it was supposed to be. So while humans, through Jesus Christ, have been set free from the curse of sin, the creation, the ground that God cursed, if you remember in Genesis, God cursed the ground that Adam worked on, said that he'll have to, by the sweat of his brow, till it, right? You farmers know what I'm talking about right now, don't you? By the sweat of his brow, hard work is how he would have to uh, do that, but that the, the ground would never yield its fullness to him anymore, right? Go look at Genesis chapter 1. So the, the earth has been cursed. The animals are under the curse. The Bible even says that creation groans under the weight of sin, And even our flesh, even though our souls are saved, our flesh groans under the reality of what sin does to us. 
But you think about the creation. Think about this. Do you think hurricanes were part of God's plan? You think tsunamis were part of God's plan? You think earthquakes? You think when God created man and called him good, you think he desired for us to become old? You think he wanted us to lose our eyesight? You think he wanted us to not be able to do the things that we used to love to do? That was not God's plan. That's a result of man trying to do what he wanted to do as opposed to what God had commanded him not to do. When God created things, he called them good. But even the creation longs uh, for Jesus' return. Romans 8.19 says, For the creation eagerly waits, longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption into a glorious freedom like God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains. Even the earth longs for the return of Jesus. Can you let your mind sink around that for a second? That things that we consider inanimate objects like mountains and rocks and the sky longs. Think about that. that. That even creation longs for redemption and that's what they're going to get and that's what you see. There's going to be a new heaven. Even though the one that's there now is great. There's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth. Look at chapter 21. This is John at the end of his vision that God gave him regarding eternity and I want us to see what he saw. Look at, look at chapter 21 verse 1. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Now, a new heaven? A new earth? Yeah, sure, we need a new earth, but a new heaven? Why would God need to make a new heaven? Why? Well, think about this. At, at this point in Revelation, what you find out is that God is, has already wiped away every inkling of evil. It's gone. At this point, go back and look in Revelation 19, 18, 16. You'll find out all that stuff. So right now, God has wiped away all forms of evil. You say, what does that have to do with heaven? Well, think about this with me for a second. There, is, there was always the possibility of evil in heaven. You say, where do you get that? Well, did not Lucifer, Satan, charge the throne of God, want to dethrone God, took a third of the angels with him, trying to rob God of his glory? That's evil. That's rebellion. So there was the possibility of evil, right? In Job, you see that Satan comes before the throne of God and he comes and he says, you're not really worthy of worship. The only reason why Job worships you is because you give him good things. Take away his good things and he'll stop worshiping you. So he blasphemes the name of God right there in heaven. So the fact of the matter is this. Is this that John is seeing is the fact that God is wiping away not just the presence of evil, but the possibility of there's not even going to be a possibility for there to be evil at this point. All evil, all wickedness will be done away with. So that's why he has to make a new heaven. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now think with me for a second. Now you're going to have to think. This is not a, a spoon-feeding sermon. You have to use your brain. Okay? Whenever he says a new heaven and a new earth, what does that tell you about heaven and earth? New means it's going to be radically different than what we know, right? 
But the fact that he uses the word earth means it's going to be strangely familiar. You see what I'm saying? Radically different, but strangely familiar. Otherwise, he wouldn't have used the comparison. This is talking about the earth that we now live on, set free from the curse of sin. We don't even know what we're going to look like when we're set free from the curse of sin. Can you imagine, as beautiful as this creation is, can you imagine what a recreated, untarnished earth is going to be? We talked last week about a sunset and the beauty of the mountains with the sun setting behind it and being out on the water and all the things that are beautiful here on this planet. Can you imagine? If they're so beautiful, they can take your breath away. What's it going to be like whenever God takes all of the messed up stuff, all of the sin and evil away? A new heaven and a new earth is what is promised to God's children. But a new earth is also important. And I'm, I'm giving you a backdrop and then we're going to jump into it. You ready? A, a new earth is important whenever it comes to resurrection too. Here's why. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we're going to get new bodies, glorified bodies, untarnished by sin. That we will be transformed into twinkling of an eye. That we will not have sin on us anymore. Everybody following me? And so if we're going to have bodies, we're going to have glorified bodies that are going to be transformed but physical, then we're going to have to have somewhere to live. Right? Because, listen to me, on the new heaven and the new earth, that's where actually... Heaven comes down to meet earth on the new earth, and it's actually paradise on the globe. Like God intended it before sin screwed everything up. So think about this for a second. You're promised, if you die, if you know Jesus, to get a new home one day. Let's look. He compares the new heaven and the new earth to a city. He says it's like a, it is a city. Okay, look, he says, Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So John's standing there, and he sees this city coming down to meet on this new earth. Everybody using your imaginations? I hope so. Chapter 21, listen, let's, let's think about this. How big is heaven going to be? How big is heaven? I mean, this, I mean, there's a lot of people that are saved throughout all of history, so is there going to be enough room? Look at chapter 21, verse 15 and 16. Look at 15 and 16. John says, The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square. And its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with the rod, 1,500 miles its length and width and height are equal. Now, at first, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, okay, so it's going to be length and width and depth and height are equal. So that's like a cube. Y'all follow me? So as John sees this thing coming down, he's saying, listen, just as deep as it is, it's that wide. And just as wide as it is, it's that long. Okay? And he says it's 1,500 miles in length. And so 1,500 and 1,500 and 1,500. You get what I'm saying? Check this out. I read this. It's so cool. If the new Jerusalem that comes down to be on earth, the new heaven, listen, would have, this is according to Erwin Lutzer, 
he said that the new heaven, based on the, the 1,500 miles, okay, here in the scripture, times, you know, a cube, all the sides of a cube, he said that the new heaven would have the space that it would have 96,000 stories high. Okay? And if every story was 20 feet high, okay, uh, then we could all fit there. But he said, but just think, think about this. 96,000 stories high, but each story, each, each level is about half the size of the entire United States. So can you, think, can you view with me for a second a city coming down 96,000 stories high and long enough to cover half of the United States? There's going to be plenty of room in heaven. That's the point. Okay? That's a lot of room. Peter and John will be there. Our loved ones will be there. Jesus said in John 14, In my, heart, in my Father's house are many mansions. Right? Now, I was thinking about this. It's just funny. You think about 96,000 floors, right? And, the, and, and, and I was thinking it would just be my luck that I'd be on the top floor and all, everybody else would be hanging out in the lobby, right? So I'd be having to come down 96,000 stories, right? But we won't have to worry about elevators or stairs in heaven because the thought will be the movement. That means all I'll have to do is I'll be there, I'll be, on the, I'll be in, my, in my little dwelling place, whatever it looks like, right? And I'll be like, man, I think I want to go chill with Lazarus for a minute. I'll be there. Okay? We will not be hindered by time or matter or space. It's, this is why it's called heaven and paradise. We will not be tired. We will not be weary. We, listen, the Bible even says there will be no sleep. You want to know why? Because there ain't going to be no darkness. You want to know why? Because Jesus Christ Himself is the light that lights up heaven the new heaven and the new earth for all of eternity. Can you imagine just being able to go and go and go and go and go and never get tired? Doing whatever you want to do. Man, that's what I, I'm, a, I'm a doer and a goer. I, I like that idea. All right? We will have glorified bodies and we will live forever and never be weary. But what is this city made of? What's it made of? What, do, what, is, what is it? Look at that. First, I want to start with the high wall and its gates. Look at verses 10 through 13. So heaven has plenty of room. It's coming down. Heaven's going to meet earth. But look at what he says. What's it made of? I'm just going to read it to you because it's, it's awesome to think about. You ready? And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and the gates had 12 angels, and names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the Son of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. So this city has gates and high wall. Hmm. Now look at this. Look at verse 21. In 21 it even says, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. And each one of the gates was a, gates was a single pearl. That's where you get the term pearly gates. Right? But look what it says. And the street of the city was pure gold. So pure it was like transparent glass. 
Did you hear the story about the man who wanted to bring gold with him to heaven? Did you hear about that? I don't know how it worked out this way, but it's just it's just just kind of a whole story. He, he begged and begged and begged that he could take gold with him to heaven, and he got to heaven, and Peter looked at him and said, Why on earth would you bring concrete to heaven? Why would you bring faith? Think about this for a second. Something that we see so think is so valuable, we're gonna walk on that stuff. Right? Forever and ever. And then he says there's going to be gates, four gates, four different gates. Why does the city need gates? Well, it, it, he answers that in verse 24 because the, the redeemed, you and I who are Christians, are going to be going in and out, doing work, serving the Lord. Look at verse 24. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no light, its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. So, so here's the deal. So we're going to go out and come back in doing things for God, all unhindered by the flesh, in perfect joy, in perfect peace. But another thing that the gates do is it keeps the wrong people out. Look at verse 26 and uh, verse 27. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The, the gates of the city will keep those who are not redeemed by the blood of Jesus out. They will never come in. Now, now, it's not like they're standing at the gates beating the doors, right? It's not like that. But this will be a place totally eradicated of evil. The redeemed will come in and out because as the children of God, this has become our inheritance, this city. And our reward for placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. Look at chapter 21, verse 7, and let this sink in for a minute. Jesus said about the city, He said, To him who overcomes, he will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Can you imagine this? Peter talks about the fact that we have a place reserved in heaven for us. Reserved. Reserved because of what Jesus did. You ever had to make a reservation for something? Right? I remember I was taking Amy out on a date one time. I think Dave and Connie were the ones that were watching the kids for us. It was Valentine's Day, I think. And she likes to go to a particular place. And so I called ahead like a good, good fella, and I made a reservation, right? And there was still a line wrapping around outside. And, uh, and we still waited for a long time. But we ended up getting in. We ended up getting the table. And I remember seeing a guy who he was upset because he didn't get a table. You know, but he was determined. He was going to wait. That's where they were going. He was going to wait. And so he waited. And he waited. And he waited. And he never got in. Can I tell you something? No lines, no waiting in heaven. Hear me on this. Whenever you enter into, after the great white throne judgment of Jesus, okay, that's going to take place. Believers will be there. We'll talk about that later. He's going to say, enter into my rest. We're going to come in, and we're going to be in eternity. No lines, no way. There is a place, John 14. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be. So Jesus has already got your spot there. All you do is you just, your heart stops. You're in the presence of God. Jesus and only Jesus gives you access into heaven and you are in eternity. 
But you know what's even worse than reserving a place is and having to wait is when you reserve a place and you lose your spot. I don't know that there's anything that makes me more happy than understanding that I can't lose heaven because I didn't earn heaven. Jesus Christ earned heaven for me. Jesus Christ paid my debt for me. And so the bottom line is this, is that no matter, listen, no matter how evil you are, no matter how many mistakes you make, no matter what you do, if you truly have accepted Jesus Christ, you will not be put to shame. That's what Romans says. Now let me tell you why that's good news. Because if you could lose your salvation, I would have lost it 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 over. Because every thought is laid bare before God. Every deed is laid bare before God. So if you could lose it, I would have lost it. But the fact of the matter is this. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Right? I don't care if you're on here or not. My, my, my point is this. What Jesus do, does, man cannot undo and so if you have accepted the free gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ bought, died, and paid for, how dare you think you could lose it? You say, well, if you tell people that, they're going to live like aliens, and they're not going to try to be obedient to Jesus. Actually, I find the opposite to be true. Because whenever you think about how deep and how wide and how long the love of God is, and that nothing can separate you from that love, it will make you crazy to try to be obedient to Him. So you have a new home. And it's guaranteed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But you have a new occupation. Verse 22. Chapter 22. Verses 3 through 5. says this. You have a new occupation. There will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have any need of light or a lamp, nor the light of the sun even, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Wow. A new occupation. There's about 40,000 jobs in the United States. It's about how many different ways people try to earn a living. And many people don't like their jobs. There's not enough pay. They don't like the people. They don't like the management. Right? They get up. They don't want to be there, but they just partake in this grind. Well, heaven's going to be different. You're going to get a job that you will love for all of eternity. I don't know what. It's going to be according to your spiritual giftedness, so I'm glad you were doing spiritual gifts this morning, Ms. Jan. That's good stuff, right? But there's another thing I want to talk about here for a minute. A new occupation, but you're also going to get a new, a new unity. And this is what I want to talk about. This, this, is, this is serious, and I'm, I'm going, so y'all just bear with me. Last sermon of the series, and we're going to go to something else. All of the bickering, this is going to be awesome, you ready? All of the bickering between believers, all of the arguments over the doctrines of the faith, all of the disunity, all of the gossip, all of the talks that mars the church here on earth is going to be gone. I would even say that there may be some in this room who cannot even follow Jesus closely because you have a bitter streak running through you and you will not forgive a brother or sister in Christ. We're going to see you better get over it and you better get over it quick. Oh, they wounded me. They didn't talk to me. Get over it. Get over it. 
Listen to me. In love, I'm telling you to get over it because that doesn't mean they don't like you. That doesn't mean they don't care about you. It might just mean that they were just busy. Listen, why am I saying this? Because the church has so much bickering and complaining going on, and every church does, that you can't be glorifying to God whenever you got bitterness in your heart. Let it go. Just let it go. Actually try to be like Jesus and forgive somebody. I don't know. It's just an idea. All right? That felt good. <laughs> I mean this in love, but get over it. Heaven is coming, and knowing God's sense of humor, He's going to put your dwelling place right next to the person you dislike the most. Guess what? We're all going to believe the same thing in eternity. There's going to be no arguments over music or money or church vision or this, that, or the other. Listen, this is my favorite part. There ain't going to be no business meetings in heaven. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Amen. No business meetings. Because God's going to be in charge and we will worship Him in perfection. Okay? Now, Revelation 19 gives you a picture as to what the church, the bride of Christ, will be doing in the new heaven and the new earth. Look at Revelation chapter 19. This is what you're going to be doing. I'm telling you right now, based on the promise of the Word of God, this is what you're going to be doing. Revelation 19.1 After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude. See the great multitude? That's you. That's me. That's where I'm going to be. Right? In heaven. And here's what they were saying. You ready? Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because His judgments are true and righteous. For He has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and He has avenged the blood of His bondservants on her. And a second time they added, Hallelujah! For her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters. That sounds familiar, like a song or something this morning. And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. I'm glad we agree on something in heaven forever and forever. And that is that God gets the glory. Side note. This says great multitude. So there are those who say, well, I don't want the church to get too big. Just give me a small church. Hate to break it to you. Head into a really, really big one. Right? Chapter 19. This is a physical earth. Look at chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. I just want to show you. We're going to move around a little bit and we'll be done. You ready? This is a new job, new occupation. We're going to be worshiping, praising God for all of eternity. Look, physical earth, chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Then he showed me a river of the water of life. Man, this is fine. Crystal, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river there was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Whew. Mmm. I could just stay right there, but I'm not. Forever and ever we will serve him. Look at verse, look at verse uh, 5. Verse 3, there will no longer be any curse. And the throne 
because uh, the bond servants will serve him. They will reign forever and ever. We've already talked about that. So you will serve and you will reign. If you're not serving here on earth, you're not ready for heaven. If you don't serve Jesus on earth, you're not ready for heaven. Because you're going to be doing that for eternity. Might as well start now. What do I do? Come talk to me. We'll figure something out. Talk to Jesus. Ask him what he wants you to do. So you get a new occupation. All right. But you'll also get a new family. You say, where do you get this from the passage? Well, I get it from Matthew. But listen to me. Not in Revelation. You get a new family. Some of you in here have a broken home. You don't have a father around. Maybe you do. Maybe you haven't had your mother or your father around. I don't know. I, I didn't have my dad in my life a lot. But you will get a new family. We talked last week about the marriage supper of the Lamb. How there's going to be that great day where we dine uh, at the banquet, the mighty banquet table of Jesus Christ with all of those loved ones who we've lost and every Christian who has ever been for all eternity. You may be here and feel as though you have a messed up family, but listen to me. If you're saved, you've been adopted into the family of God and Jesus Christ is your brother. Man, that's cool. There was a time when people came to Jesus and he was speaking to a crowd and they said, hey, your mama and your brothers are outside. And you know what Jesus told them? Matthew, this is Matthew, you look it up. He said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And looking around at those who sat with him, he said, behold, my brothers, whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and brother and sister. <laughs> He's going to take your relationship up a notch. Jesus is going to be your brother. So you're going to have a new home, a new job, a new family. Okay? But you're also going to have a new reality. And this is where we're closing. A new reality. What do you mean by a new reality? Well, look at chapter 21, verse 1. He said, I saw the new heaven and the new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. All right, now you say, wait a minute, I thought you said there was water. The word sea in the Bible usually refers to the nations. Okay, so for instance, if you think about Daniel, it said that he saw beasts rising up out of the sea. It's talking about warring nations. That's what it means here in this passage. It's the same word that's used in Daniel. It's the same word used in the other parts of the Bible. So what he's saying is this. There is no more war. There is no more fighting. There is no more death. Listen, God ain't running for God. He's the only one. And there ain't nobody that's going to be standing in His path at this point. Okay? There will be no more death. Look what it says in verse 4. And He will wipe away every... Chapter 21, verse 4. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer any more death. There will, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. People have said, will there be crying in heaven? And I've talked about this before. Yes, there's going to be crying in heaven. And for some people, they think that crying in heaven just don't match up. Oh, yes, they do. When you see something beautiful, you when you, when you see something heartbreaking, you cry, right? Why tears? And I, listen to me. I'm done in just a minute. 
why would there be tears in heaven? I've really thought about this a lot. I've talked to some, some length about it. I think it's because of how we lived. I think it's because of how we lived and what we lived for and what we thought was important and what we didn't think was important. If this world is the place where we were supposed to be faithful managers of our time, gifts, and abilities, when we look back over all the opportunities given to us and all the sins that we embraced and held close to our chest, never letting them go, never letting anyone know because of fear of what others would think of us, it's going to be harsh. There's going to be tears. Why didn't I live for eternity? Why? Why? Why didn't I? Why, why did I waste so much of my time on things that do not matter? I'm going to be really, really, really harsh right here because it's something that's beating my heart up. You ready? You ready? God instituted the family before he instituted the church. So you need to lead and disciple your family. I'm not taking anything away from that. But, but, you ready? Don't let your family become an excuse to not serve Jesus. I've done that. you to serve him in every aspect of your life. Don't compartmentalize God. I'm going to serve you over here, but not over here. I'm going to do this for you over here, but not over here. This is God. He wants all of your heart. He wants all of your life. He wants all of your family because he, he deserves it all. There's going to be the realization. Why tears? There's going to be the realization that there are loved ones who we thought would be there that are not there. There have been some people who say, well, God is just going to wipe our memory away, and that's why our tears are going to dry up. But that doesn't fit in the character of God at all. God doesn't limit our knowledge in heaven. He increases our knowledge in heaven. I think tears will be wiped away because we are going to finally see things from God's perspective, and we're going to know that He's holy, that He's righteous, and He's true. So even if I have a loved one that's in hell, and I know that they're there. I'm going to know that he was righteous in, in, in allowing them to go there because they chose that. You say, where do I get that? Chapter 19, verse 3. They worshipped, and a second time they said, Hallelujah, for her smoke rises up forever and ever. We won't just rejoice over the mercy of God in heaven. We're going to rejoice over the pure, righteous judgment of God in heaven. Because we're going to know that he gave every chance for a person to be redeemed. That he's just, that he's righteous, that he's good. A new home, a new occupation, a new family, a new reality. What's the point of all this? Well, just a couple of questions and then we're closing. Are you using your time, gifts, and abilities for the glory of God? And I swear I had no idea what was going to go on this morning in our Sunday school class. But God did. Are you using your time, gifts, and abilities for the glory of God? I believe that this phrase has been used so much that we take it for granted, but your life here is only the dress rehearsal for your life there. That is true. 
So let me show you something. I'm, I'm, I'm really going to step in. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble. You ready? You ready? So when you say, Forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Woo! Get ready for it. It's coming. Might as well get used to it. Right? Yeah, but I'll be dead then. Well, it, don't, it won't matter. You're going to enjoy it. You ready? If I had one thing to say, I'm going to say, you're going to do it forever and ever, and you're going to like it. Right? <laughs> Thank you. 